0: Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning with grateful hearts, Lord, as we sing these songs to you. They come from our hearts and they come out of gratitude and they come out of brokenness and they come out of our understanding that you are sovereign and high and lifted up and in control of the things that are going on in this world. And we thank you, Lord, that you are bringing all things to pass. We pray that you work perfectly according to your plan. And Lord, we present ourselves to you this morning now as holy living sacrifices. We simply say, Lord, here we are. Use us, send us, whatever your desire is. May you have your way in us, Lord. I pray as a congregation that we would be a congregation of love. Love for you and love for one another. Fill us now with your Holy Spirit as we look into your word May your truth set us free. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can you say hello to someone before you sit down, please? All right, everybody, you may be seated. Good morning. Go ahead and have a seat. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles this morning, please take them out and turn to the book of Luke, chapter 9. And we will be looking at the section of scripture from verses 37 to 50. Before we do that, we have a few announcements just to let you know some of the things going on uh, in the church. Operation Christmas Child is in full operation. So, uh, you can pick up a shoebox in the foyer right out there, and you can drop it off in the atrium right out there, and the deadline is November 19th, which is a Sunday, and so I encourage you all to uh, participate in that. It's been a blessing for us to do that as a congregation over the years, so uh, next Sunday speaking on this theme of outreach and missions work. Next Sunday, we're having a guest speaker, uh, someone who, as a church, we support in a faraway land. Pastor Vincent is coming from Uganda and is going to share the word with us next Sunday. Um, He currently, or just yesterday, shared at the International Missionary Conference, uh, Calvary Chapel, missionary conference in uh, California and so they're going to come out this week him and his wife and his kids and they're going to come and share the what the Lord is doing and their hearts with us and um, hopefully y'all can join us for that it's just going to be a good time for the whole church to kind of get together and just hang out and share and enjoy each other's company so hopefully you enjoy each other's company so That's that. And then along the same lines, this Wednesday, we're going to have a guest speaker as well. And uh, one of my best friends, Pastor Shaddy from Calvary Chapel Refuge in Huntington Beach, he's coming out and he's going to share something I believe is very, very important for us. He's had a very difficult year through some struggles with his family and his son has has had a horrific illness that they had had to walk through and he's going to talk about navigating through those storms he's going to speak personally and ex- exegetically on how the lord has walked him through something that was very difficult for him and his family to go through. And so that's Wednesday night. encourage you all to come out for that and support Pastor Shaddy and his family. Meet him if you haven't as well. So that's going on. It's, I just realized that this year we have had at church, will have, when Pastor Vincent comes, every missionary that we support. So we support... Obviously, Pastor Vincent, who's going to come, and then Clint Pickens, who's in San Antonio. We support his work as a church, and then Pastor Brian from Haiti was here. So pretty neat that that's all kind of lined up this year, and we've got to we'll get to see all of those uh, those guys come tomorrow night. Fellowship gathering for the women. They call it a gratitude gathering. So that's the last meet in that they're going to have for the rest of the year. So that's for all women and 7 p.m. here. And uh, there's going to be some food involved, which is, uh, looks. I saw some of it and uh, actually sadly had some of it. And I wasn't supposed to, but I did do that. So I'm confessing to my church family. And then... Um, then we'll, uh, we'll have a holiday schedule rolled out here soon. We're going to have a Christmas party, all-church Christmas party. And then um, after the, day, the week of Thanksgiving, we're not going to have a, a Wednesday night service, but we'll give you more information next week on our holiday schedule and things like that. So with that, if you can draw your attention to the section of Scripture at hand in the book of Luke, Chapter 9. We're having communion to finish the service, so prepare your hearts for that as well. We've been really investigating this particular section of Scripture because it's very meaningful. All Scripture is, but particularly this Scripture is meaningful practically for us. Jesus is giving the disciples the understanding of what it actually means to be a believer in the world. He is teaching them and explaining to them how to finish well, how to continue on successfully in this journey of faith, how to be in this world but not of this world, how to fulfill our calling, how to, as the Apostle Paul said, I have finished my race I've I've run my race now there's a a prize laid up for me it's that that whole understanding of what it means to be a Christian in this world how we're to live our life and how we're to to endure through the different trials and difficulties and struggles and things that Jesus said that we are going to have in this world as he said in this world you're going to have tribulation so the recognition of this world, of what it is, is the fallen nature of it, and not only the fallen nature of it, it's the the God-hating nature of it as the world system, the Bible tells us, is under the influence and sway of Satan himself. So all the evil we see in this world, all the heartbreak and difficulty and chaos. All, all of this is part of this fallen world that we live in. But as believers, what does it look like? So many of us wonder, what does it look like? And how do, how do we negotiate these sensitive areas and difficult topics that that we have to embrace and are, are now, in, in many cases, being forced or attempted to force to accept these things? And And so Jesus is dealing with these things. Now, just to give us a little review, I think it it will help us to sort of get in our minds what's exactly going on. And so we really started looking at this, this theme of living from above down because Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. He went to a high mountain. We're not sure exactly what that mountain was, but that's not what's important. What's important is that those three disciples got to see Jesus truly as He is, in His glorified state. He pulled back the veil of His flesh that He took on when He came into this world, and the disciples got a glimpse of Jesus in His glorified state, It was so amazing that Peter didn't want to leave. And that's how we start living our life as believers in this world, but not being of this world. It's with the understanding of future glory. It's with the perspective that we are headed towards a city, a celestial city. A divine city, a city where there is no more tears, where there's no more struggle. A city that will endure forever, a city whose maker is God and whose foundation is built by God. A a city where there is perfection, perfect peace, perfect love, perfect harmony. Everything that, that people are looking for in this world, but the realization is you can't find it in this world. So Jesus gives them a glimpse of that in order for them to understand how they are to live their life when they come down the mountain. They are to live their life with a perspective of eternity and glory always in their sight. And to understand that they're always moving towards that city. Every second, every tick of the clock for the Believer is a moment closer to that destination, closer to our home, closer to where we belong. And so the disciples, they got a hold of that. And Peter, in his first letter, mentions the impact that that had on them. So future glory is the perspective that a believer has. As we live in this world, we live with the understanding that we are headed towards future glory. It's not here, it's in the future. And then when Peter recognized how wonderful this state was, the condition of eternity. And we have to ask ourselves, is that something we think about a lot? Is that something we focus on? Is that something when we're going through difficulty are we keeping it in perspective? And comparing it to the future glory. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 8. He said these momentary and light afflictions are not worthy to be compared to the future glory. And if you followed and tracked Paul in the Bible, you'd be pretty surprised that he would say what he's going to is light. It was very heavy but not in comparison to future glory. So that's very important that we see what we're going through in light of future glory. We see the struggle as temporary and something that's actually adding to the way we spend our eternity. So, the, the, so we looked at that. The second thing we looked at is the importance of knowing where forever good is. So that we know there's future glory We know that's where we're going. And I'm talking to believers here who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And we know that's where ultimate good is. Why is that important? Peter wanted to stay there. He said, hey, let's build three tabernacles. One for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, who also appeared in their glorified states in this account. And Peter said, why would we ever go down? Why would we ever move from this state that we're experiencing, this this good that we're having? He he is acknowledging that this is so good. And down there, it's not good. But they had to come down because it wasn't time yet for them to enter into their forever good. But see, here's how this helps us understanding that in this world we will have tribulation having the right perspective of this world that this world is not utopia this is not heaven this is not where we get everything that we're looking for it won't happen here but it will there And so we can live with the right perspective, understanding that we live in a fallen world. There'll never be perfect peace in this world. There'll never be perfect love. There'll never be perfect joy. And our relationships will never be perfect. And whatever you want to put in there, this is not the time of forever good, but there will be a time for that. Why is that important? Because it helps us to understand that The good that we experience now, and we can experience, but it's in Christ. It's in Him. So in this world we'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So the goodness that we experience in this world, even in the midst of chaos, it's in Christ. So now our relationship with Christ is where we extract the good, where we experience the things Of heaven knowing that one day we will be fully satisfied when we are face to face with Jesus. But that good in this world is in Jesus, not in the world. And one day will be our forever state. So we looked at that. And then the disciples heard a voice from heaven. It was the Father speaking. And he said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. So this tells us how we are to be faithfully grounded in this world by listening to Jesus, listening and obeying. This is how we live our life now. We live our life not according to the world. The Bible says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. This means that we are to be engaged with Jesus and praying about hearing His direction, reading His Word, which directs us. And that's how we stay faithfully grounded in our life in this world. We don't let the world dictate what's right or what's true to us. God's Word does that. And so the practical aspect of being in God's Word, receiving God's Word, allowing God's Word to direct our life— then that brings this grounded stability in our life where we don't fear. We don't live by circumstances. We don't live by what we see, but we live by faith and faith in the Son of God. And then we saw last week, they came down the mountain. And as one would imagine, immediately when they come down the mountain, what are they met with? Chaos. That's why he didn't want to come down. That's like many people who want to go on a retreat or want to get off the grid or just go someplace where nothing will bother them or harm them or confuse them. And this is exactly what they knew was going to happen. The disciples, Peter, James, and John, just three of them, they come down with Jesus and they're met with this mob. This mob scene was around. There are religious scribes and Pharisees there. There were the other nine disciples there. And then there were uh, a lot of other people there. And then there was a man with a demon-possessed boy. And the man brought this demon-possessed boy to the disciples who previously in chapter 9 were sent out to cast out demons and they were able to do that. Now they weren't able to do it. There was a different kind of demon. There was a The Bible mentions a higher level Demon. Jesus said this kind of demon only comes out with prayer and fasting. And so last week, we looked at the necessity of power. Believers need spiritual power in this world. We can't make it in our own strength, in our own know-how, in our own ability. We actually need spiritual power, and that is what's given to a believer, spiritual power. Sometimes we think of spiritual power as some big miracle that we're going to do and and that can happen but we need we need miraculous power just to get up in the morning and make it to bed at night. I mean that the the, the things can get so hard and heavy that we need miraculous power to get over some very hurtful and difficult things that We go through some heartbroken moments and some moments that we have where we just don't see an answer, where we don't see a way out. We need miraculous power to live every day in Christ and to do that well. And so Jesus ends up casting out the demon and he says this is a faithless generation, which led to them being a perverse generation. In other words... What was going on was there was no acknowledgement of anything beyond the material and the physical, even in the way of religion. Did you know that religion fills the void that the Holy Spirit doesn't occupy? So if the Holy Spirit is not filled in our life, we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, if we're not led by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, then Man-made traditions and religions will fill that void. and will give people a sense of holiness and righteousness and do goodness. And Jesus says, you need power. This power is available. And it begins, what we saw last week, it begins by having faith. Jesus said in another account of the story that if you had faith without doubting that you would be able to move mountains and what he was referring to is those obstacles in your life if you have faith that they'll be removed and so the importance of having faith and as I was thinking about this this week is just I started to realize there there were certain things what I would consider big things for me that I'm praying for in my life and a part of me realized I was getting skeptical about those things. Where when I was reminded to pray about those things, there would be a, sort of a, a doubt in my mind, like, that's never going to happen. And, you know, the more we pray about something and the more it doesn't happen, the more we can get skeptical. And the Lord told me, he said, hey, you're supposed to pray without doubting. And it was a great reminder to me, and it it brought about much peace, recognizing, realizing, hey, I'm just going to believe what God says, and I'm going to leave it there. And whenever the skeptical part of me starts to doubt and come in and say, God's not going to do anything, He doesn't care, nothing's going to happen here, I'm going to nip that in the bud and not allow that to take root in my life. And I'm going to say, Lord, I believe. And I'm praying, and you're going to move this mountain, and I'm going to leave it there. Whenever your timing is, whenever you want to do those things, that's up to you. And that's what the type of faith that God wants us to have. But that brings us to where we are this morning. We're still looking at the importance of power. And now as we begin to understand that there is power, that a believer needs power, that we can't live our Christian life in our own strength and abilities, but we need the power of the Holy Spirit. So that that power comes from unconditional faith. But then the second thing that we're going to look at is this power also comes from walking in God's plan. Simply walking in God's plan. So watch what happens in verse 43, the second part. So while everyone was marveling, what were they marveling at? They were marveling at Jesus' ability to cast out this demon from this boy as his father brought this boy to him. And it didn't take any effort. It didn't take any extra cantations or spiritual movements. He just said it and it just happened. The people were blown away. And part of those people were the disciples, which are the people who the primary message is being conveyed to. And as they're just marveling, they're ooing and awing, and this is an amazing, this ability of Jesus to do this. It says that, that, that everything that Jesus did, they were marveling at. And then he says to his disciples, so he takes this moment and he directs, his comments to his disciples, and he says, let these words sink down into your ears. Now, that's a a, a very precise description of what Jesus wants them to do. Why does he say it like this? So far, Jesus has been saying things, and it hasn't sunken down in their ears. They didn't have ears to hear, as the Bible says. So that would be like being here, hearing the Word of God, and yet none of it having an effect on your heart. So the Bible tells us that's possible. That's why it's important that we need to be prayerful about the receiving of God's Word, that it would penetrate to the division of the soul and spirit, which the Bible says that it wouldn't be something where we're casual observers or distant observers or academic acknowledgers, where we just acknowledge something. Oh yeah, okay, okay, I acknowledge that. But yet the word actually is taken in. It sinks in to the, fat, to the place where it changes us, where... It exhorts us, we're we're, we're actually moved to do something, to act on it. That's what Jesus is saying. And he's telling his disciples, I've been telling you something and it hasn't resonated. And at this point, the disciples have acknowledged that he's the Messiah. But they haven't acknowledged his plan. In fact, they've denied his plan. They don't like his plan. They don't want his plan. And so he tells them again. He told them previously in this chapter, and he tells them again, look, what I'm going to say to you, you need to have this sink in your ears. And here it is. The Son of Man is about to be betrayed. That is what they did not want to hear. They didn't want their Messiah to be one who could be, in their eyes, taken advantage of. They didn't want their Messiah to be anything less than a conqueror of the world. Their understanding of the Messiah was he would be the king of the world. And Jesus had repeatedly said this in verse 20. He said that he's going to be taken and rejected and crucified, and he's going to raise again. They didn't understand the plan And they didn't like the plan, and they were unwilling at this point to yield to the plan that they didn't like and they didn't understand. And so we have this huge, important teaching of Jesus that although we may not understand, we are not to lean on our own understanding. We are not to value what we know above what God knows. We are not to put our faith in understanding because understanding is not faith if we understand it. So when we only do things because we understand it, when we've measured all the possible outcomes and we say, okay, I'll move forward in faith Because I've measured and controlled all the outcomes and now I'm going to move forward. And friends, that's not faith. Faith is the Lord says something and regardless of our understanding or even knowledge of how it may turn out, even thinking and knowing it may turn out in a way that we really don't like. Faith Continues in obedience regardless of all of those things. And this is what Jesus is teaching his disciples, because his disciples were about to enter into a realm of chaos and craziness and death threats that would lead to death. And that is not something that they were willing to embrace. But here's the point. God has a plan that he's working out. That plan is made in eternity. The plan is divine. The plan is bigger than we can see and know and understand. And God simply asks us to embrace the plan. Not knowing all about it, not understanding all about it, even being confused about it. And he says, trust me. He says, put your faith in me. Do you remember the future glory and the forever good? He's saying, that's where I'm leading you. But there's a way that I'm leading you that might be different than the way you think. I'm leading you. And I, on this past Wednesday night, I shared just a little bit about my journey of how the Lord brought me along in my life and eventually to plant this church. And as I looked at these scriptures, I realized none of this was on my radar. None of this was something that I could have planned or scripted or written out. None of this was my plan but you know when i let god god have his way with me his plan unfolded and his plan was exceedingly abundantly beyond all i could ask or think that's why his plan is so much better because my plan is so limited just by what i can think and if we're super ambitious we can think big things for ourselves and god says my plan is exceedingly abundantly beyond all of that. And our job is to simply daily walk in obedience to what God's plan is. And so he tells the disciples, Hey, look, let this sink in your ears. I'm going to be betrayed. He is is warning them again. And understand... What faith really looks at looks like and know that I have a plan. So the question is, how confident are we in God's plan for our life right now? How confident are we that God is unfolding his plan and that plan is glorious, good and right and something that will continue to Resonate into eternity, for all eternity. So God's plan right now is affecting our eternity. Have you ever thought about that? His plan right now and our walking in that is touching eternity and will continue for our whole eternal life, never ending. What we do now will affect that. So let it sink down in yours. I'm going to be betrayed. And you, you can just sense the cringe because he said that before and they cringed. They didn't want to hear that. They didn't like that. But there's a truth that it's got to sink in there. So in verse 45, he says, they did not understand this saying. It was actually hidden from them. Now that's interesting So much so, it says they didn't perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. So they didn't understand it because the scripture tells us there was a timing element to bringing their understanding to a certain place. And at this point, he's almost saying it wasn't their fault that they didn't understand because they couldn't at this time. Did you know there are a lot of things right now you are going through that you don't understand? And guess what? You're not supposed to right now. And many of those things you will understand. All of them, one day you'll understand all these things. But right now is time to exercise your faith because you can't understand. And so what what do we do? We understand what we know and we live according to what we know, not according to what we do not know. So what we know is that God is good. What we know that God loves us and God has a plan for our life and He's working that plan out. What we know is that we can trust Him and that we can surrender to Him and put ourselves in His hands. And as we do that, then He'll work everything out. So focus on what we know and not what we don't know. It might be a time where we're not able to perceive what's going on. The second thing we see is not only the the power of God's plan and embracing God's plan, it's the power of, true greatness true greatness heavenly greatness greatness as god sees it so as jesus its interesting as jesus tells them that he's going to be betrayed they get into an argument the disciples so this argument think about it it's on the the, the tales of them seeing jesus glorified hearing the father speak to jesus And then coming down with all this chaos, the other disciples not able to cast out a demon, but Jesus able to cast out the demon. And then Jesus says he's going to be betrayed. And what do they do? They start arguing about who's the greatest. They're disputing which of them would be the greatest. Now, can you imagine the three on the top of the mountain that came down? They heard the voice of the Father, they saw Jesus glorified, they saw Moses and Elijah. I don't know, but I think that they were probably telling them that, look, we saw all of that, we're greater than you guys. You guys couldn't even cast out a demon. And here we are on the top of the mountain with Moses, Elijah, and Jesus hearing the Father, so we're much more superior. So they're still on this competitive working for earthly and worldly greatness, and Jesus deals with that. Jesus, in verse 47, he perceives the thought in their heart. So this was coming from their heart. Their heart's desire was to be great in this world. It's it's like probably all of us at some point in time, and maybe now, we're spending a lot of time to get better at our jobs, or to get a job, or to improve our economic status, were working really hard, were, were sweating and crying and bleeding for advancement and improvement. And this model was what the disciples were doing. And Jesus, as he's perceiving that, their hearts desire, even following Jesus, at this point, their hearts desire was to be seen as great. They wanted the Pharisees and the scribes. They wanted them, the religious elite, to look at these fishers from Galilee and they wanted them to say, you guys are great. You guys are amazing. It's some of the motive for them following Jesus. And so Jesus takes a little child and sets this child next To him, and he says to the child, I'm sorry, he says to the crowd, particularly the disciples, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. Jesus was using the little child to exemplify himself because their perception of Jesus was one of a high the highest ranking king in the world in position and authority which he is but his kingdom is not of this world his kingdom is over all all the world and over everything but he uses this little child to say i'm going to be betrayed i'm not going to come in this high, mighty status like a Caesar would or a Roman uh, soldier or conquer, I'm coming in a little different way or a lot different way. And I'm coming just like this little child is next to me. And you're all put off by the fact that I'm coming this way. You're offended by it. You're embarrassed by it and you're ashamed by it. But if you're going to receive me, you have to... Receive me, like he says next, as one whom he, God the Father, has sent. For he who is least among you will be great. So Jesus is saying this is the way to eternal life, this is the way to relationship with God. It's not by high status and high achievement. It's not by religious excellence. It's by lowering yourself. It's by humility. And he's saying to them that you're going to have to humbly embrace God's plan to bring in a suffering servant, which was very offensive to them. And he's saying you're going to have to humbly accept that. And it's so Contra to what you perceive and think, but you're going to have to receive me like this. And then he says, true greatness is not striving to be something. True greatness is lowering oneself to lift other people up. And so in the eyes of heaven, this is greatness. And Jesus himself exemplified that. Jesus, the greatest, the almighty, the creator of the universe, sustainer of the universe, he lowered himself in order to lift other people up. In order for us to have the power of God working through our lives properly, it's not going to be by the exercise of our own strength and abilities It's going to be by humility and allowing God's power to work through our weakness. So that means nobody can say, I can't, I'm not good enough, I don't have the ability, the training, whatever. If we have God, we have everything we need to do what God has called us to do. And that is the power of true greatness it's being humble. And not only being humble, but using our humility to lift other people up. And you know what? We all can do that. We all can enter into this arena of lifting one another up. And the final thing through which the power of God flows through is the power of commitment. So John answers. It's almost like he changed the subject here. And he says, Master. We saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. And so, what Jesus was dealing with is the disciples saying, Hey, it's, it's just us. And nobody else can do the things or be part of what you're doing. We're an exclusive club. And the privileges that we've had and acknowledge and seen, all of these things, we don't want anybody else to do those or share those or have those. We just want us to do that. And Jesus is dealing with the fact that, you know what, it's not just for you guys. What I'm doing for you guys is to spread it to a lot of guys and gals. And there is actually someone casting out demons in the name of Jesus Jesus that wasn't part of their group. And they wanted him to stop, maybe because they couldn't do that that might have wanted them to stop the man or the man from casting out demons because of the disciples' inability. But here's the point. When Jesus says, "Do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side." What he's saying is, what it takes to follow me, whether you're part of the 12 or the 120 or beyond that, it takes a full commitment to be on God's side. When he says that, he's pointing out to the, the fact that there are one of two directions that everybody is going. And that's it. It's very exclusive. We are either for Him or against Him. He is either our everything or He is our nothing. We are either on His side or we're not on His side. And here is where many, many people remain on the broad road to destruction. And it's because they have never truly gotten to a place where they have definitively committed their life to Jesus Christ. But they are straddling the fence. They are. If we're talking about directions, there's one direction and there's another, and somehow they think they can go both of these. When we're not saved, we're going this way. When we're saved, we're going this way. Staying here is not saved. Turning to Jesus in repentance of that way and receiving Him as our Lord and Savior means now that we are following Him by denying ourselves and taking up our cross. Now, do we do that perfectly? Of course not. It's about direction, not perfection. But generally, when we're saved, we're going in another direction. And to think that we can have the world and have heaven at the same time is wrong. The Bible is very clear about that. That we can't love the world and God at the same time. When we love one, we'll hate the other. Very clear. But it is when one makes that commitment to turn their life to Jesus and head that way is when the power of God works in and through their life. It's like what Paul said, for me to live is Christ. He was very definitive about that. There was no grayness, fogginess. It was very clear for me To live is Christ. And because he said that, he could say to die is gain. So we have to recognize the Bible is clear about the fact that there are two kingdoms and we're living in one of them. The kingdom of this world that will lead to destruction and an eternity separate from God. Or the kingdom of heaven which Jesus paid for by his own blood. That whoever receives by faith the work of Jesus has turned their life and they're headed towards their celestial city. And to live for that goal, for that person of the goal, Christ Jesus, is how a believer lives their life in this world. They live committed to Jesus Christ, He is the love of their life and all other things are subordinate to Jesus Christ who is supreme in their life. And so this is how we live from above down. We're going to finish the service with communion. And so let's pray. And wherever we may be spiritually, we're, we're either on one road and if anybody is here and they're on the broad road that leads to destruction, I would first just ask you to consider the end of that road. There is an end to the broad road that leads to destruction. There's, a, there's an end there. And it's an eternity separate from God. And so I would... Encourage you, ask you, plead with you, beg with you. Just consider what road you're on. And today, repent and turn and receive the offer of Jesus to have your sins washed away and to be on the right road. Some of us here may think that we're on the right road, but we're straddling the fence, and it's important to be honest, to ask ourselves the question, are we living for Jesus? Or do we just know things about Jesus, like some stuff, but have never come to the place where we've surrendered our life and have given him the control of our life, surrendering our will to him? And if that's you today, it's time to make a commitment to Jesus Christ. And you do that by laying down your life. No longer living for yourself, but living for Jesus. So many of our issues, so many of our problems are simply because we're obsessed with ourselves. We think about ourselves, we adore ourselves, or we self loathe ourselves. Everything is in view of what we think, how we feel. And that is a really hard way to live. Much better to just die to yourself and let Christ live through you. The world's not getting any easier. And heaven is waiting. And there is a place being prepared for us, for those who believe. We will all be there one day. Now's the time to be soldiers for Jesus Christ, to fight the good fight of faith. Because what we do now, we can only do now. When we get to heaven, that is our retirement. That is our paradise. That is our eternal vacation. That is Hawaii, even better, forever. That will be it, but not now. Enjoy what God's blessed you with, but be in the fight. The good fight of faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. And I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. I pray that each one, you would deal with them where they're at. And most importantly, that each one here would respond to the quickening of their heart. If anybody is not here or is here, is not truly saved, even thinking that they're good with you, maybe counting on their good works, counting on their religious exercise, but not truly born again, I pray that today they would make that decision to lay down their life, to put their faith in you once and for all and allow you to come and reign in their heart. I pray, Lord, for for all of us now as, as we take communion, that we'd be mindful of the fact that we are saved by grace and not by works that these elements represent your body and, and and the blood that was shed for our sins. And so let us humbly, humbly receive as a remembrance of what you've done for us. We're going to take this time just for all of us individually here to be in prayer, spend time with the Lord. We just have a few minutes left. The ushers are going to pass out the elements and Just hang on to the elements and we'll all take communion together. I just encourage you now as they pass it it out, just stay in fellowship and communion with the Lord. Allow Him to speak to you and you speak to Him the desires of your heart. These elements uh, remind us that we can be assured of God's good. And if we're honest, I think sometimes it's hard to believe in the goodness of God. Just like the disciples when they heard that Jesus was going to be betrayed Sometimes it can feel like we're being betrayed even by God. It's just because we don't understand the fullness of what he's doing. These elements are what remind us and give us assurance that we can trust in the goodness of God. That we can Surrender our whole life to Him. Because we're able to see what happened when Jesus went through great suffering and betrayal Himself. We see how that ended up in the greatest good. And it's the way of God that through suffering, the greatest good is achieved. And so we see that exemplified by Jesus. We see him willing to go through great suffering on behalf of us. But we also know through what these elements represent, we know that God will not withhold anything that's good from us. Jesus at the cross did not withhold anything of himself. He didn't give part of himself on the cross. He didn't kind of die on the cross. He didn't kind of suffer on the cross. He gave it all. And in Romans 8, 32, it says, Because of that, how much more will God give us all good things in Christ Jesus? So these elements are very important to us this morning. I know many of you are hurting today. And I want you to know these are a reminder. As Jesus said in the upper room, do this in remembrance of me. Remember, friends, Jesus calls you beloved. And trust him that whatever you're going through will end up in the greatest good. So much so that you will thank and praise God for it. And so let these elements be a reminder. The bread, a reminder of the body that Jesus took on and gave for you and I. And this cup, the blood that was shed for you and for me, all because of the undying love of Jesus Christ for you and I. He loves you. And undying because he rose again. And because he rose again, although we may die, we will live. Let's partake of the bread together. And let's partake of the cup together. Jesus, we thank you and praise you. And we can't wait to see you face to face. But now, Lord, may it mean inexpressible joy as we live our life in fellowship and worship. And in praise of you, regardless of the circumstance, you are worthy of our praise. Let's all stand. We're going to worship the Lord in song before we leave. Our prayer team will be up front. If anybody would like prayer this morning about anything, feel free to come up as we sing this last song, and our prayer team will be glad to pray with you. God bless you. I love you. Let's worship the Lord together.